0: What's up jace how you doing man
1: oh uh pretty good i uh had a pretty good week pretty good day today with uh with uh, my kids you know took them up to the church today my daughter for youth group um let the kids kind of run around and play up there because for people that don't know we have uh 40 acres so the children <laughs> uh they have quite a bit of uh, places to play yeah, um, my son's wrestling season is coming up. Excited for that. We're getting ready for that. Ordered all his gear and and get the schedule in the tournament. So that's awesome. Everything everything's looking good. Um,
0: I guess we should pray.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm always uh, down for a little bit of prayer. Never hurts. <laughs>
0: Never hurts, and especially on this podcast, it can only help. <laughs>
1: okay. You are okay. You're still wanting to do the. Uh, I I'm like the Vinny. Pray I, to the I Holy like, Spirit, yeah.
0: Yeah, I like that one, but if you wanted to do a different one, I'm, I'm cool with that too.
1: No, I like that one because yeah. uh, we definitely, our goal in this podcast is to uh, have the Holy Spirit help us make it through every episode.
0: Indeed, and, and, and to endow us with uh, wisdom and understanding, which is, after all, what we're here to do. So, in nomini patris et fili et spiritu sancti. Amen. Veni, Sancti Spiritus, reple corda fidelium et tui amoris in eis ignim accende. Imite spiritum tuum et crea buntur.
1: Et, re, uh, et renovabis facem tare.
0: Oremus. Deus qui corda fidelium, Sancti Spiritus, illustratione docuisti, da nobis in iodum, spiritu recta sapere, et de eos semper consolationi gardere per Christum Dominum nostrum. Amen. 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 Jace, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Oh man! Um, I, I, by the way, for listeners, I totally caught him out of left field. He was not prepared for that question. So, well,
1: I'm going to pull a, a, a movie quote here. I uh, it's hard to pick one. I, I enjoy the whole collection. <laughs> no, if I had to, if I had to pick one. Um, Let's see. You know what? I, for right now, I guess I would say the Book of John for this reason. It was very mm. instrumental in my conversion.
0: Mm. Mm. And John is such a poetic. I mean, it's it's such a poetic piece of literature. It's so different than the other Gospels, and it's 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 really it's a challenging read, but it's a, it's really a very beautiful Gospel. Um, right,
1: and and that's not to say that I'm on the same uh, spiritual and theological um, scale that that John was writing to, but but <laughs> well, but it th- definitely but it definitely spoke to me during my conversion in many many ways.
0: Well, that's a great thing about the Gospel of John is you could meditate on that for the rest of your life. I mean, th- th- there is such a treasure of spiritual um, um, uh, wealth in that piece of literature that you can never totally exhaust uh, everything that's going on in there mine is actually the book of isaiah because i find in the book of isaiah sort of condensed into uh, prophetic literature the whole the whole of salvation history right and it and it it starts off from all the waywardness and wickedness of the israelites um, all, it, it talks about all the various invasions and exiles that they would go through. And then it talks about the one who is to come who is going to set everything right. And it, there's, a, there's a great quote in, um, in Isaiah. I think it's in chapter 40 where it talks about uh, how out of the tribe of Judah will come the, the, what is to what is essentially to be the blessing for the whole world, right? Which is which is going to be Jesus, um, and there's a lot there's a lot of treatment of the Messiah in Isaiah, um, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be a suffering servant, um, and a lot of interesting things, and I I think it's an interesting lead into our topic tonight. Uh, we're going back to the Second Vatican Council. We're going to the shortest document in the Second Vatican Council. Um, a very controversial one, even though it was passed pretty unanimously. I think there were 88 votes against and 2,000 votes for.
1: Yeah, it sounds and, about right.
0: Yeah, and the uh, the document we're gonna look at is Nostra Atete, hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Um, this is the declaration on the relation of the church to non-Christian religions. Now, this document gives treatment to a lot of different non-Christian religions but essentially this was supposed to be about Catholic relation, Catholic attitudes towards the Jews. Um, and I think that's where you get most of the substantial things that are in this document um, is in its its treatment of, uh, of Judaism and Jewish people in particular. Um, that's kind of a complicated and painful history, unfortunately. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of bad blood. And that's, that's so unfortunate because I've, I've always, out of all the non-Christian religions, I think the one that I've always held in the most esteem would obviously be Judaism because that's the covenant from which our whole religion springs from, right? Right. And um, I, I, so to to me, I, I, I like Isaiah for that reason. And I've always liked, I've always liked the Judaic religion. I remember the first time I ever saw a Passover seder, I, not in person. But I saw um, I was taking a class on comparative religion, and we watched a video uh, of the Passover seder uh, ceremony. And I looked at that, and I went, "Holy cow! That's the mass." I see the like that looks like the mass, and the similarities were so you you could see how every element in the Catholic Mass was a fulfillment of promises made during Passover, and it just opened up the uh, a, a new aspect of the theology of the mass to me that I hadn't looked at before. It was really quite interesting I, I don't
1: mean to put you on the spot here. I don't know if you've heard it and and I've never. To, to be honest, I've never gone in into deeper study or reading reading of the topic. But have you have you heard the claim that uh, Catholics practicing or, or not practicing but celebrating? Because you know you'll see some parishes advertising the around Christmas time the Seder meal. Um, I guess where they kind of reenact the whole the whole meal to a certain extent, um, being being proclaimed that Catholics shouldn't partake in it, that it's sinful. And I, I would even go as far to say, I, I believe I've read, that it's uh, it, it, it's heretical for, for Catholics to participate in that.
0: So so, I, I actually haven't heard of this. So what you're saying is at Catholic parishes, they're doing a Jewish Passover Seder?
1: Yeah, so they will uh, advertise that they're going to... Um, I guess, for lack of better terms, reenact the Seder Hmm. uh, meal. And and the point being is to, I would assume, is to um, connect Christians with the Jewish roots of their heritage. Uh, I I don't know. I just, I didn't know if you'd ever heard that. I'd read it a a few times in some headlines through the past couple years, but uh, I didn't care enough to look into it.
0: I I have not heard of that, but... Just based on what I'm hearing, that sounds problematic on 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 several different levels. Maybe maybe one of which being, I don't know that Jews would like us doing that. Um, you know, this religion that we're talking about Judaism, it's it's sacred to these people. Um, I think while while we disagree on various theological issues principally being the messiahship of Jesus of Nazareth, we need to be respectful of other people's religions to the point where we don't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We don't mock them or, or or do things that would be, A, offensive to our religion, and in the process, offensive to theirs too. Um, I, I, I just see some problems with that. but. Well,
1: what, while you were talking there, I just went ahead and just did a quick Google search. I mean, you know, there's going to be thousands of different responses. But sure. just a, one of the first websites I typed in, uh, uh, Jewish Seder Mill Catholic Church. And there's a website, catholicculture.org. I'm not familiar with this uh, website. Mm-hmm. But it says, the you know, it talks about the introduction. The Passover is the great Jewish feast of redemption and liberation, the memorial of the Israelites' deliverance from their bondage in Egypt. Mm -hmm. so anyway then it goes down the cedar mill or the seder mill Mm -hmm. not sure which way is correct but the ritual mill which commemorates the events of the exodus is called the cedar the primary aim of the cedar is to transmit to future generations the story of the exodus the central event jewish history and then it goes on it goes on a little bit further but then it comes down to celebrating our heritage and the in the christian tradition the passover seder is also believed to be when jesus instituted the eucharist gathered around the supper table with the disciples jesus told them i have longed to eat the passover with you before i suffer because i tell you i shall not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of god and then it goes on to talk about what you mentioned earlier about the you know the passover meal the last supper that jesus had right so but this is the last part i'll read it goes the christian observance of this ritual meal celebrates not only our tradition of christ's last supper but our own jewish heritage which provided the context for jesus's institution at the last supper
0: (sighs) yeah but but again you go back to the words of christ himself who say i shall not eat again of this meal until everything is fulfilled meaning meaning that the mass is the fulfillment of everything that that was promised at Passover. So when you're going to mass, it is it, you're you are basically participating in the new Exodus. Um, you are we are children of the new Israel, the, the the new Jerusalem, and I think when you if you were to celebrate. Uh, a, a passover seder within the context of a catholic church uh you are really sending a very convoluted theological message there i think at, at least it's at least it seems like that to me now maybe i'm misunderstanding well, where all and this I- is coming from but
1: I kind of threw you on the spot with a uh, <laughs> question I don't even have any really thoughts or answers yeah. to. Um, you just brought it up and I heard it and it kind of jumped in my head. So I said, let, let me see what Mark thinks about this, but maybe next time I come across one of those articles or writings, maybe I'll take the time to actually read it and <laughs> see what they say.
0: Well, uh, I think that's a great segue though into into Nostre Atete. Um, so to, just to give a little historical background on on this document and why it exists, obviously the events of World War II, the Holocaust, as well as the general horrible history of things that have been done in the name of the Catholic Church to Jewish people, uh, demanded that the Church clarify its position that, um, Jewish people are not inferior. They are not to be treated with disrespect. They are not to be um de-propertied. They are not to be, they, they are to be given all of the same rights and privileges uh, in, in, in any legal society that, that anyone else would have. And also, Christ uh, comes to us from the tribe of Judah, meaning that we have an intimate connection with these people and so we ought not want anything bad to happen to them or to visit violence upon them in any way. Um, and so that's sort of the background for why this document exists in the first place. Now, it had net, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: No, 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 you finish your thought there and then I'll jump in.
0: Well, I was just gonna say that it had never been the position of the Catholic Church that uh, that Jews were to be treated badly, that they were wicked, that the, the biggest and common uh, slander that was leveled against them is that they are somehow collectively responsible uniquely for the crucifixion of Christ. Um, and while that had never been the official position of the Catholic Church, that had, there had long been a cord of that anti-Semitism that had run through intellectual circles in the church since the earliest days of the catholic church and i and it was high time that that get dealt with and that get put to bed and i i feel like it did that um i don't know very many places nowadays in the catholic world where you hear anything like um that the jews are collectively responsible for the death of christ or anything like that so it, it seems to have done it seems to have had that positive effect um
1: yeah, but no, I was sure just, is, yeah. I was just gonna add, you know, to to the historical aspect of it, you know, the um, the guy that had uh, been meeting with Catholic officials, I believe he had three meetings with them, one of which was at the Seelieberg, believe that's how you say it, uh, conference. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Jules Isaac, yeah, uh, I don't know that it was a necessarily a completely fair assessment, but you know, he he basically believed that. Uh, Christian anti-Semitism prepared the way for the Holocaust. Um,
0: I actually think there's something to that. I mean, what, what happened in in Germany in the 30s and 40s was different than any of the anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism that had come before, but I, I do see a connection there. I mean, it's, it's, it's a general... Because it's really not theological. There's nothing... There is no theological basis for that position. It's just a general series of attitudes that people had about Jews uh, for a lot of complicated reasons and and, and just a lot, like I said, a lot of bad history and a lot of bad blood that when horrible things begin to happen to them in in the name of things like racial purity and all this other stuff that was going on in Germany, uh, people were more, I think, Inclined to abide that they, you know, it didn't. Well, maybe that's the wrong word to use. But do you, do you see what I'm saying? I don't know if that makes sense or not. But. Well,
1: and and I can see to a certain extent how how you could make the claim that maybe some Christian anti-Semitism played a role in it, because even today, right, the Church teaches something that many professed Catholics believe otherwise right so that's that's not unusual in that sense but I think the situation leading up to the uh, Holocaust was a lot more complex and complicated than to put a big portion of it on Christian anti-semitism did, did it play a part in it I, I mean I'm not going to deny that it played some some aspect in it or some part um, but overall I don't think it was the driving force that paved the way for the Holocaust
0: I, I'll agree with that I, I, I... Because what happened, the Third Reich was fundamentally different than all the anti-Semitism that had come before it. Because even in cases like the Spanish Inquisition or uh, some of the other um, sort of negative treatment that had happened uh, with Jews in the Catholic Church's history. Let's say, for example, the Spanish Inquisition um, was going to, I don't know, kick you out of the country for being Jewish or, or punish you in some kind of way. I mean as barbaric as it sounds to modern ears, you could always convert, right? And then, and, and then you, it was over. You know, once you converted, they couldn't touch you basically. Now, I'm not saying that that's uh, <laughs> the right way to, to treat Jews or, or anybody for that matter, but it's different because in Germany, your Judaism was racialized. So there was no convert, I mean, if you converted to another religion, it didn't matter. You're still ethnically Jewish. And so every bad thing that they associated about you was part of your racial makeup. There was nothing you could do about it. And so the only solution was you were to be eliminated. Uh, so, so that is very different than, than anything that the Catholic Church had done before. So yeah, I think, there's, I think you're right about that
1: well and and the document brings up that you know about the 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 collective uh, guilt of the the Israelites to Jews all the way up today, of course, which is just a ridiculous notion um, that the Jews today are responsible for Christ's death because let's be honest, we're all responsible for Christ's death, right? right. we're We're all responsible. Every time we sin, we reject Christ and we we're the re, we're one of the reasons he was nailed to the cross, right? Absolutely. Um, but that also, <clears throat> at the same time, and I think this speaks to it as well. Um, this document, I'm, I'm trying to find it at the moment. But the the high priest and the 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 Jews that arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, the ones that were calling for his persecution, are person personally and directly uh, guilty of it, right? right. Uh, Pontius Pilate and, and and his his guards and his cronies that that killed Christ are directly and personal response, personally responsible for it. Right. Um, all those involved at the time, but but just like my ancestors probably have great sins that I'm not responsible for. You know, the same thing with the Jews today, and I think this this document covers that pretty well. Um, and again, before we start pointing the fingers at who killed Christ, we've got to point that finger right back at ourselves.
0: Absolutely, I mean, and, and that's an important point to to talk about is there is no mechanism in Catholic moral theology for collective guilt other than the universal collective guilt shared by all of humanity for sin. But it's not like there are groups of humanity that are a little more guilty than anybody else. Such an idea would be a heresy. Um, The idea that Jews are somehow collectively responsible for the death of Christ in, in a unique way as opposed to everybody else, is uh, that represents several fundamental problems. The first of which being Jews did not crucify people. That's a Roman way of execution. If, right. if the Jews were going to kill Christ, they would have stoned him on the Temple Mount. That's the way that you dealt with blasphemy in those days, okay? Um, but he was crucified. And interestingly enough, the Council of Nicaea, which met in 325, produced a statement of belief that is read every Sunday in every Catholic and by the way Orthodox Church everywhere around the world and it has been read since 325 AD and there's a statement in there that says in the Latin text it says crucifixus etiam pro nobis sub Pontio Pilato which translates into English as he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate so the Council of Nicaea seems to lay all of the localized blame for the crucifixion of Christ at the head of the Roman procurator of Judea. So that's something to keep in mind too. And it's not like you can say that council of Nicaea was a modernist council. I mean, that happened in 325 <laughs> AD. Um,
1: they were so. way ahead of their time if they were modernist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: I'll, I'll tell you something um, that really kind of surprised me about the whole document Um when I started reading it and and getting into it is one of the, one of in my personal experience, the thing I hear most coming from this document is how it deals with the Muslims and our relationship with them and Mm -hmm. issues like that. Um, I didn't realize that the document in its original intention was supposed to be just between uh, the Catholic church and, and, and uh, Jewish people. Right. Right. One thing that that I read on the history of this that I found pretty interesting was that when they one reason they added the Muslims in here and then eventually it mentions Hinduism and Buddhism is they added the Muslims because during that time there was that uh, the Arab Israeli conflict was in full swing going right. full bore and the Middle Eastern bishops it said were worried that if the Holy See came out and made a document specifically I guess for Jewish people that a lot of these middle eastern countries would see it as the holy see recognizing israel as a state which of course to this day they don't they don't want they don't like many of them don't, still don't recognize right right um so they were worried about their flock middle eastern christians not being able to worship or being persecuted for this so it, it sounds like in order to appease the uh muslim world uh f- from from worrying about this this uh recognition by the holy see they added the the part about muslims in there so that it so then it became a document on christian christian unity with non-christian religions
0: right i just
1: found that pretty interesting because like i said the only time i ever hear about this document being heretical they always talk about this section dealing with muslims mm -hmm. and i and, and to be honest with you when you read when you read that that section or have it read to you, it's very troubling, right? At least it was for me. I was like, "Man, how do you?" Some of this doesn't sound good. But if you just go read the whole document and look at the history, it's not a bad document. It's not saying what, in my opinion, what people are trying to make make it say. There's there's one or two parts in there where I kind of cringe or wish i had used better wording. But knowing the the background and the intention of this document. You know which direction they were at least trying trying to go with it, and and to be honest, like I said, I I, I don't see any heretical teaching in this in this document that is quite often uh, proclaimed to be in there.
0: Well, I, I think, and and so the to me, what I took out of uh, of Nostra Aetate is that and. The document begins in this age of ours when men are drawing more closely together and the bonds of friendship between different peoples are being strengthened. The church examines with greater care the relation which she has to non-Christian religions. So for most of the history of humanity, uh, to be a member of a nation state was to adopt the nation's religion. It was not a uh, there was no such thing as, well, you can worship. The national god if you want to but if you want to worship a different national god that's okay no no that's not the way it worked uh you, you worshipped the god of the nation you belong to so if you were egyptian you followed the egyptian religion if you were a member of the nation of israel you worshipped yahweh and no one else um if and so that translates into when you get into let's say the middle ages to be a good Spanish citizen is to be a Roman Catholic. And to be a member of another religion is an act of treason against your country. So in those days, to have a theological debate was literally to go to war. Okay. Well, we don't live in that world anymore. Thank God. Right. That's a good, that's a good thing. And so now the thing to do is to actually have theological discussions by, by communicating, talking. Um, well, there's a
1: caveat to that, though. Sure. Even even in today's world, there are parts of the world where that is still the case.
0: That's true. Um, but I think. But not in
1: the, the Western world.
0: Yeah, I, I think what the church would say is there there simply is no longer a place for a a, an armed defense of christianity in the world i don't know if that makes sense or not but in, in other words what i'm saying is um while it's true there may be geopolitical reasons to enter into wars with islamic countries over certain things we don't really go on crusades anymore, right? We, we just don't need to do that. And the way in which we settle differences now with, amongst religious leaders is by agreeing to the things that we do agree on, identifying the points that we don't agree on, and, and understanding what those disagreements are actually about, and fostering an overall sense of goodwill towards one another even though we fundamentally hold different belief systems. And that to me is, is a positive message. I mean, it says here in the issue about the Muslims, um, and this is sort of, uh, I think this is in paragraph three, uh, it says that um, they strive to submit themselves without reserve to the hidden decrees of God, just as Abraham submitted himself to God's plan, to whose faith Muslims eagerly link their own. Although not acknowledging him as God, they venerate Jesus as a prophet. His virgin mother they also honor and even at times devoutly invoke further they await the day of judgment and the reward of god following the resurrection of the dead for this reason they highly esteem an upright life and worship god especially by way of prayer alms deeds and fasting okay all of that is an accurate representation of islamic theology there's no right. there's no error there um, and
1: nowhere and nowhere in it does it say that the islam religion is the correct religion or the the right religion or on right. equal playing field or playing field is not the right word or equal grounds as the uh, the one and true catholic church but it is saying that hey they believe these things right or wrong this is what they believe and this is where we can find common ground not only to love our neighbor but also should be able to help us in our evangelization
0: oh yeah absolutely um and because there are going to be things, um, hang on one second, I, my, my dad's trying to call me on the other line, but I can't pick up the phone right now. Bring him uh, so
1: on, uh, on the podcast. <laughs> um,
0: so, you know, there are going to be things in other religions that we do hold in common. Okay, so in, in regards to the Muslims, how many gods do they believe in? Just one. Okay, that's the same as us. All right, so, hey, in, in an age in which maybe we don't agree on everything we can agree on that. there is there is only one God, the God of the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham. Yeah, they'll agree with that. okay. Now we believe fundamentally different things about that God mm-hmm. and those those different things are not arbitrary. they're important mm-hmm. and they're important points of departure and, and they have
1: uh, salvic implications.
0: Well, absolutely well the document even says although not acknowledging him as God they venerate Jesus as a prophet now one of the things that if we're going to have any honest dialogue with anybody we've got to tell the truth there is there are these people in the catholic church who all they want to do is be liked and so we can't tell the truth if it will upset anybody well that's not a good enough reason to not tell the truth about anything um and that leads. I, um, is now a good time to talk about what what the Holy Father said, or we should get into that later. What do you think? Uh,
1: let's. I'd say let's do it in a minute, because because I want to keep along this same you're line right. with with a couple of thoughts that I that I want to add to yours when you're when you no, finish your time.
0: No, I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm done.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one of the you know one of the the biggest issues that I that I have come across with this document when people are critical of it is the very first part of uh, paragraph three. The Church. Regards with esteem, also the Muslims. Mm-hmm. Now, esteem just means, you know, what, respect. There's nothing wrong with respecting their their zeal for their faith. Because I know I've, and I've talked to other people, for instance, the, the Mormons, uh, while I fundamentally disagree with them on many, many uh, issues,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I do esteem and have respect for their efforts in evangelization, I mean, that's good. I have respect for how they teach about the family in many, in many ways, right? They're very uh, pro-family. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, oh well, because I respect what they're doing in the zeal for their faith. I think I, I think as as Catholics, maybe we can learn from that zeal. That doesn't mean, oh, oh now I accept their religion. No, I don't. Right, and, and it's the same thing uh, here here with the section on Muslims. Yes, they adore one God. They believe He lives and subsists in Himself. He's merciful, all powerful. He, they believe all those things. And reading this document, particularly particularly this section, made me think of Paul when he goes to the Athens and he's debating their philosophers and and the people there, and he sees an altar to the unknown God. I believe it's in Acts chapter seventeen. Right. Um, let me see. I I actually. Have it here. I was going to read the verse here. So yes, Acts chapter 17, verse 23. And since this is Tradman, I'm going to go ahead and read from the Dewey Rames version.
0: All right. That's my my man. My man. That's what I'm talking
1: about. But it says, For passing by and seeing your idols, I found an altar also on which was written to the unknown God. What therefore you worship without knowing it, that I preach to you. And then he goes on to preach to them about it. So Paul comes up and he says, Hey, you have an altar here. Where you're worshiping an unknown God, albeit you're worshiping incorrectly, mm-hmm. but let me tell you this God that you are trying to, to worship, let me tell you about him and what he wants for you and what he expects from you. And that's kind of the same thing here in this document that I view it from the Hindus from to the Buddhists where it mentions them, to the Muslims, to the Jews. Okay, this is where we all have common ground,
0: right. okay?
1: Let's start from here saying, hey, you believe God is one. Great, so do we. You believe God is merciful and all-powerful power, uh, creator of heaven and earth. Hey, so do we. Now, we found the common ground. Now, where do we diverge? Obviously, we diverge on some uh, pretty, uh, pretty important topics like the divinity of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But, but, this, but this document, is, uh, I feel like it's, it's following the example of Paul. But it's also obeying the commands of Jesus and loving your neighbors, Jeff. Because you, because it's, it, it, it's a lot harder to love people you view as enemy. We're commanded to, but it's a lot harder, right? So this right. document says, "Hey, these people, particularly with the Muslims, hey, we've been, we've had a bad history with Muslims for a long time." And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get into who's at fault and who wasn't. I mean, maybe that'll be an upcoming episode. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah, Maybe, <laughs> but. Um, I, I made a joke. And I lost my train of thought, um, but but it's it's helping us say, hey, we have common ground with these people. So let's love them as Jesus told us to. And how do we love them? We try to bring them to the truth of Christ.
0: Absolutely. Well, if, and if you notice, the document doesn't say the church has a high regard for Islam. Yep. Well, because it, it couldn't. It couldn't. It believes that Islam is a false religion. And before you think I'm being mean to the Muslims, let me go ahead and calm your fears. They think that about us too. I mean, Islam believes that it is the true religion to the exclusion of all others. So to hold out that it's somehow wrong when the Catholic Church does that doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
1: Guess what, I hold common ground with them there too because I believe <laughs> the same thing about the Catholic Church.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean well and because that makes sense i mean if if muhammad is the prophet he cannot both be the prophet and not be the prophet at the same time He he either is or he isn't okay so to to now treat the two positions like they're really the same thing is intellectually dishonest and people see through that nobody's convinced of that and Um, And and indeed, indeed, that's not what the document tells us to do. It says, The Catholic Church rejects nothing of what is true and holy in these religions. She has a high regard for the manner of life and conduct, the precepts and doctrines which, although differing in many ways from her own teaching, so we we admit they're not the same thing, nevertheless often reflect a ray of, of that truth which enlightens all men. Yet she proclaims and is in duty bound to proclaim without fail Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. In him, in whom God reconciled all things to himself, men find the fullness of their religious life.
1: Amen. Good. (laughs) uh,
0: And that's that's essentially what this document is about. And um, it it does say, and I, and I, I really like what it has said about Uh, the the Jewish people in particular in this document Um, because it it really reaffirms our common spiritual heritage and that our Jewish brothers and sisters are our brothers and sisters Um, yeah we disagree religiously uh, on some pretty important things Okay, namely first and foremost the messiahship of Jesus of Nazareth let's call that the principal point of contention they deny that we affirm that um, that's not nothing right that's a big deal but uh, it doesn't mean i think a lo- I think for a long time the idea was well these people really know that Christ is the messiah they're just obstinate and they and they're just being stubborn they're they're being willfully you know uh, they 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 don't want to accept that Jesus is the Messiah, even though they know He is, and that makes them wicked. And you know, well, let's give let's give our separated brothers and sisters of every religion a little bit of credit, and assume that they really do believe the things that they believe.
1: Well, and, and let me add um, the the document, like we said, talks about Judaism, what they you know some of the aspects of what they believe, the Muslims, um, Hindu, and Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how truth can be found in all religions. And I don't understand how that can be controversial, especially to Catholics. Because because St. Thomas was pretty, uh, pretty big on that, right, with Aristotle. He didn't say, hey, I accept Aristotle's pagan beliefs. But he, he found truth. And there was truth in what he was teaching, right? So God, the scriptures tell us God has revealed himself through nature to us. So it only makes sense that even these other religions are going to have some aspects of truth that we that we can say okay i acknowledge that that's truthful but but uh even though you have this truth you don't have the fullness of truth you don't have the full divine revelation let me let me help you on that if i can right Mm -hmm. so i i don't understand why it's controversial to say all religions have truth but not all religions will bring you to heaven
0: well, here's, here's something a lot of people don't... Or have don't. some
1: truth. Let me say that. Some truth. Not truth, yeah. but some truth.
0: Here's something I'll think I don't think a lot of people know about the Islamic religion, and that is um, they do believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Of course, we differ on the issue of his divinity, and that's, that's, a, that's a big deal, right? It's not nothing. But they believe that Jesus was the Messiah, or is the Messiah. They believe that at the end of time, Jesus will return to defeat the they don't call him an antichrist they have a different word for him uh, but uh, essentially their version of an antichrist they believe that jesus will return at the end of time to uh to usher in the end times um they believe in the perpetual virginity of mary they believe that mary was they don't have a concept of original sin in their religion but they do believe that she never committed a sin in her life and that um that at the moment of her conception, she was preserved from whatever it is that causes people to sin. Now we know what that is, but they don't have a mechanism like that in in their theology. Um, they uh, believe that um, that Mary prays for us in heaven. Um, th- th- they they share a lot of our Marian beliefs, um, which is which is interesting to me. I I've always thought that was interesting.
1: And it's not. I don't want to get into it but but it's not surprising considering the history of of how Islam came about, right? Um and some people which which I can see the argument and I, and I may even agree with it in some aspects is just an extreme form of arianism, right? Sure. Um you can see how that plays plays into cuz there are many people who who believe Islam is just a heretical Christian sect that has really gone off the rails, but um <laughs> Yeah, I mean I don't, and, and I that's not with that, but, and yeah. that's not and like I said I, I don't say that to be disparaging or or whatnot, but I'm 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 just saying they they definitely have truth in their religion um albeit they we fundamentally disagree with them on on a lot of things but I'm not going to be disrespectful to Muslims because um because of who they are you know i mean i mean how are you going to convert souls to christ with disrespect right
0: absolutely and that's that that is a key point in this document is that treating people with disrespect visiting violence upon people who are of different religions or, or really any different social class classification um it's not going to win your souls it is contrary to what christ taught it's it's counterproductive and on so many levels and it will put your soul at hazard. So let's not do that.
1: But at the the same time, by all means, don't do like some of the men that, that you mentioned earlier, and that I believe we're going to get into here in a minute, don't water down the faith to try to go over the top in appeasing and accepting a false religion, right? Stand up for the truth, but stand up with it with respect and with guts.
0: I mean, I think people will, the funny thing is is if you want them to respect the Catholic Church more, that's only gonna happen when you have conviction. Nobody respects somebody who will be whatever they think others want them to be in order to be liked.
1: Very good point.
0: Nobody's gonna respect that. And nobody's gonna hold you in any kind of esteem when you do that. in fact, one of the things that I have, the principal thing I admire about the Islamic world, now this is, this is about Muslims, not Islam, but the thing that I've always admired about Muslims is in a world that doesn't take religion very seriously, they take their religion seriously. Mm-hmm. They're the fastest growing religion in the world. And one wonders if that has anything to do with the fact that they, they act like they believe their religion is the truth. I wonder if the Catholic Church did that, might we be the fastest growing religion in the world instead of the incredible shrinking church?
1: Well, we talked about it in, in one of the early episodes. People want to know what the absolute, you know, want to know absolute truths. They don't want where everything's up in the air and you can, everything, what's the word I'm looking for? Everything is subject to change. They want absolute truth and Islam, Islam does deliver that. Yeah, or at least the Muslims do. Okay, sorry. Now I'm going to be blasted if we haven't listened. (laughs) Yeah, what I'm trying to say is, Islam doesn't have absolute necessarily teach absolute truths. I guess they do. I'm kind of rambling here. What anyway? What I'm trying to say is that Muslims teach their faith as it as it is the absolute truth and the true faith out there. They do they do that with so much conviction, and you have to uh, respect that
0: which leads us to well, the reason we chose this um, this particular topic there, there was some there was some hullabaloo uh, the, I think it was last the last week or so maybe last two weeks um, the Holy Father was giving a homily now now keep in mind he is not giving a speech to Jewish leaders or to he's giving a homily to Catholics in a Catholic mass setting okay and this is uh, let, uh this is what he said he said, <clears throat> and I quote: uh, "The law, however, does not give life; it does not offer the fulfillment of the promise because it is not capable of being able to fulfill it." Uh, wait, I, I skipped over some stuff. Why did I do that? Um, okay, here's here. Let me start at the beginning. <laughs> he said, uh, "the The Pope offered a reflection on Paul's teaching about the Torah, um, and he said God offered them, the Jewish people, the Torah, the law." so they could understand his will and live in justice. We have to think that at that time, a law like this was necessary. It was a tremendous gift that God gave his people. Uh, Then he goes on to say, the law, however, does not give life. It does not offer the fulfillment of the promise because it is not capable of being able to fulfill it. The law is a journey, a journey that leads towards an encounter. Those who seek life need to look to the promise and to its fulfillment in Christ. Now, that's actually a pretty, that, that may be one of the more orthodox things Francis has ever uttered in his life. Um, and everybody's got a problem with it.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have your more, um, shall we say, uh, liberal uh, clergy have a problem with it. Of course you have your, your rabbis have a problem with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, what he said is right. I mean, as what he said is, as Christians, is what belie- what we believe, and it's pretty fundamental to our faith. Otherwise, why are we Christian?
0: Well, and and I, I want to point something out here. Uh, in terms of the rabbis that have a problem with this, it's it's the Reform rabbis that have a problem with this, and Reform Judaism is is like liberal Christianity. It's just it's just hot nonsense. I mean, the funny thing is they're all upset that Francis said that the law uh is not capable of fulfilling the promise they don't keep kosher these reformed these reformed Jews they don't even right. obey the law themselves so if if it's okay for them to ignore the law like it's like it's nothing to worry about francis can't say that the law has been fulfilled by Christ. That's 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 over the line. I just I don't understand.
1: Well, let me read this to you. I, I believe I sent to you, this to you earlier in the week. I, I don't know where this rabbi lines up on that, on that scale. But his name is uh, Rabbi Ratzon R C R U C, mm-hmm. the chairman of the Israeli Chief uh, rabbinites Commission for Dialogue with the Holy See. So he sent a letter to the Vatican requesting clarification. Mm-hmm. In his homily, the Pope presents the Christian faith as not just superseding the Torah, but asserts that the latter no longer gives life, implying that Jewish religious practice in the present era is rendered obsolete. Uh, RUC reportedly wrote in the letter, This is, in effect, part and parcel of the teaching of contempt towards Jews and Judaism that we had, had thought had been fully repudiated by the Church. So let me read that last part again because I feel like I stumbled over it. So he says that what what Francis taught is, in effect, part and parcel of the teaching of contempt towards Jews and Judaism that we had thought had been fully repudiated by the church. Now, when I read that, I was like, why why would the church repudiate that? That is literally what the apostles taught.
0: I mean, it's a big leap to 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 jump from the pope's comments to he hates Jews. I mean, yeah. that is a, a okay. So <laughs> first, well, of let all, me ask you.
1: Well, yeah. let me say this real quick, Mark. Sure. I was think I was thinking today right before we got on. I was thinking about Peter. You know, we we have this idea that supersessionism is or uh, is a is a bad word, right? It's you're anti-Semitic.
0: Ex- ex- explain to the audience what supersessionism is
1: supersessionism okay so it's the idea i'll just read it here it's also known as replacement theology it's a christian doctrine which asserts that the new covenant through jesus christ supersedes the old covenant and um so so basically jesus In his new covenant, uh, supersession is a theological view on the current status of the church in relation to the Jewish people and Judaism. It holds the view that the Christian church has seceded the Israelites as the definitive people of God, or it holds the view that the new covenant has replaced or superseded the Mosaic covenant. Okay, that's what we believe as Christians. That's what that's what Paul taught. That's what Peter taught. And my my thought today was is uh, uh, in the same definition. It says that uh, this view directly contrasts with dual covenant theology, which holds that the Mosaic covenant remains valid for the Jews. So my line of thought with Peter with Peter was, why did Paul rebuke Peter when Peter was um, not eating with Gentiles? If if it was if it was okay for Peter to continue following the old covenant, and that the old covenant was just as valid as the new covenant. Why did Paul rebuke Peter? Because Peter and Paul didn't believe that there were two valid covenants.
0: Well, yeah, you know? and well it, well, okay, anymore. So this idea of validity can get a little dicey. So we're not saying that uh, at, at at the at the resurrection in which all of Christ's redemptive work is totally accomplished and 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 fulfilled, that now God doesn't care about the Jews. Now he hates the Jews. No, not at all. That's not what we're saying. (laughs) No. I mean, so in a sense, the covenant that he established with the Jews, that they would be a chosen people, uh, I mean, even in the book of Genesis, it says that this will last in perpetuity. However, what's important to remember, though, is that uh, the Mosaic covenant will happen later over in Exodus. Um, there's some things that i want to talk about in in what this these rabbis are saying and in what the even catholic criticisms of what francis said the idea that it's that you can't say that the torah isn't life-giving here's the problem with that Um, jews do not believe that the torah is life-giving anyway if if these this is the funny thing about modernists. Modernists think they're so much smarter than everybody. And they're so much more sophisticated than you. I have a degree from the Gregorian. Have you ever heard of it? You know, but the funny thing is they don't know very much about the world they live in at all. They've never bothered to learn anything about it because they, know they already know everything. So if they had bothered to know anything, they would know that Jews do not believe that they're saved by the Torah. Jews believe that they're saved by the Messiah. Now, they do not believe the Messiah has come yet. We do. Therefore, we believe that Christ is the is the method of salvation. But let me tell you something. If if the Jews had a person that they believed was the Messiah and he came on the scene today, they would fundamentally believe that the Mosaic covenant at least has altered that that, that this is a seminal event in human history. The Messianic Age to Jews is not uh, this thing which, you know, sort of an incidental aspect of their religion. It is the fulfillment of all of human history. It is the biggest thing that is ever going to happen, ever anywhere. And they look to it with those Jews who take their religion seriously and who, who, uh, who practice their religion with um, with you know piety and devoutness it's a big deal okay so the idea that you can 't tell you can 't say to jews that uh, that Christ supersedes the Mosaic law well, let me tell you something if they believed it, that Jesus was the Messiah, they would agree with us that 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 the the mosaic law um mm-hmm. That covenant is, is now different. It's not abolished, but the nature of it has, has, has changed a little bit. The Catechism of the Catholic Church actually says it best. Uh, number 1967, uh, the law of the gospel fulfills, refines, surpasses, and leads the old law to its perfection. So, so that's what we mean when we're talking about the new covenant. Christ, by virtue of his Davidic kingship, and his royal priesthood okay establishes a new covenant and he even says and and how does he establish the new covenant okay there's a line at the last supper he says take this and eat this is my body which will be given up for you then he passes the cup and says take this all of you and drink from it this is the cup of my blood the blood of the new and everlasting covenant it's the Eucharist by virtue of his sacrifice because he is both priest and victim he establishes a new covenant in his blood and and because we receive the body and blood of Christ we're a part of that now okay Jews and Christians disagree on them on the Messiahship of Jesus of Nazareth they do not accept Jesus as the Messiah for reasons that are very complicated that I don't even think we could do an accurate treatment of on, on this podcast. But um, the one thing that I can tell you is, is that Reform, Reform Rabbis don't even believe that there is a personal Messiah coming. They believe in sort of this... Uh, a messianic age where you know people just start getting along better with one another. It, it's it's pop psychology. It's pop religion. It's it's more the nonsense that people don't find particularly um, interesting. Um, right, and,
1: and and this idea that that um, and, and thank you by the way. Yeah, I'm, I had a poetry choice poor choice of words there oh, no, with okay. uh, with the validity i mean i'm i'm sitting here thinking you know as we say christ is the fulfillment of the old law um and he perfects it of course um but uh you know even but today salvation is found through the new covenant but as as christians as catholics of course we need to, to revere the old covenant because as saint augustine said the the uh, new covenant is hidden in the old. Wait, how, how does it go? The the old co- or, or the new covenant is hidden in the old, and the old uh, the old covenant is revealed in the new. Right. So right. basically, sorry about that. I know I messed up there, but <laughs> but basically they go hand in hand, and you can't understand the new covenant without an understanding of the old covenant. And um, I just again, I don't get why this is controversial. That Pope Francis quoted saint paul who uh you know wrote this uh, in, in the in what we believe are the holy scriptures the whole you know by the inspiration of god he is a an apostle to christians he was a jewish apostle and he writes this and it's like why is this news and controversial today like this is this is this is elemental in our belief as yeah. Christians, I
0: I hate to tell you guys, you modernists out there. Um, I think the I, I think after two thousand years, I think the Jews are on to us that we believe Jesus is the Messiah. I don't think you're going to be able to pull the wool over their eyes. And when you when you try to tell them that no, no, we we don't really believe that Jesus is the sole means of salvation, and 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 we believe that the that the old covenant's just as valid as the new and everything. Basically, you insult their intelligence. They know that we disagree, and you're what you're basically telling them is, "I think you're stupid," um, and and so I'm gonna I'm gonna lie to you because you won't know the difference anyway. It insults people's intelligence, and it really is 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 quite a it's just a bad thing to do. You know, all around. If there's any Jewish people out there who are mystified by people who say things like uh, people are saved by the Torah. And you're like, we don't teach that. Um, here's the here's the deal. I apologize for the modernists in our church uh, trying to tell you that they think you're stupid. The only thing I can tell you is they think everybody is stupid, um, except for them. Um, they, they treat their own co-religionists with as much intellectual contempt, so.
1: <laughs> well, and, and, and supersessionism has got a bad rap as anti-Semitic and, and whatnot. Basically, because of a few bad players, I'm personally getting tired of us being having to people telling us we have to modify our beliefs, or you know, as Catholics, or we need to quit using these words because of a few bad apples, you know, that have taken these terms and this idea and abused them. Um, Just because people have abused them doesn't mean that they're still not truth, or the truth, you know.
0: Well, and you know, like I've, I've often said on this podcast, if you're, going, if, you, if you're going to tell the truth, you're going to have to risk being offensive. It's not our goal to offend people. But um, at some point, if you're going to proclaim that the Catholic Church has any truth at all, you're going to have to say some things that people in other religions do not agree with. I'll put it to you. I'll give you a perfect example. America Magazine has no problem writing articles about why it thinks women should be priests in the Catholic Church. Well, before
1: now, you before you get into this fine publication, um, some <laughs> some I was always told as a kid was if everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. You are you are being dishonest or two faced to one per- at least to one person.
0: Well. What I'd like to know is why is it okay for America Magazine to question the religious convictions of the Catholic Church, but it is not okay for the Catholic Church to affirm different religious convictions to another religion? It seems like a really arbitrary distinction to me, and I, I would like to know... What the parameters are now? America magazine wrote this article about what Pope Francis said, and it, it, the article is entitled "Why Pope Francis's comments on the Torah were hurtful to his Jewish friends." Um, I won't read the entire article, but all you really need to know about it is summed up in the last sentence. Okay. For Jews, those words carried uh, a, those words carry great weight, and they will undoubtedly be the subject of much conversation with the Church in the time ahead. They raise the question whether the church is truly prepared to accept the faith of Jews as a spiritual equal. That is an issue of the greatest significance indeed. Well, okay, I'll bite. Let's say, for example, we do do that. We accept the faith of Jews as spiritually equal to our faith. Now somebody needs to explain to me how Jesus is both the Messiah and not the Messiah at the same time. And no one and I bet if we sat here till the second coming, no one would come up with an explanation for that. Because it's not something they really believe. They're not out to proclaim truth. They're not out to find the truth. They're out to uh be liked, not hurt anybody's feelings. Do you know and, what it
1: also you know what it also is in my opinion? Hmm. So if you notice they're never critical of other religions in this way. It's because to be honest, is is an elitism type mindset. We're so much more refined. We're so much smarter than all these other poor people and these other poor religions that they don't, they don't have the capability to to understand as we do. But uh, we, have
0: we have a res- we have a responsibility. We have
1: a responsibility to, you know, to do it. So it's it, in a lot of ways it's, it's elitism. Oh, um, totally. Um. It's, it's just ridiculous how much better they think they are than people of other faiths, and how much better they think they are than our ancestors.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, let's, let's be honest. If, if you have a theological argument to make for why, uh, Jews have their own special route to salvation, that's different than mine. And that's, and it's a theological argument you believe is the truth, I'll listen to you, I'll debate with you, and I'll, I'll enter into an engagement of conversation with you because at least I can respect the fact that you're trying to find the truth. But you see, that's not what they're doing here. They don't give a damn about the truth. The truth to them doesn't even really exist. This is about uh, why can't we just make nice and admit that, that everybody is the same thing, that all religions are the same. Well, and the reason we can't do that is because they're all different. If they were the same, they wouldn't be different.
1: Well, and and, and let me and let me read you this. I, I believe I sent this to you earlier this week as well. It was uh, it was a quote from uh, Cardinal Kurt Koch, uh, K-O-C-H, mm-hmm. out of the Vatican. Basically, he's he's uh, trying to reassure Jewish leaders over Pope uh, Francis's comments on the Torah. Right. He says, the abiding Christian conviction is that Jesus Christ is the new way of salvation. However, this does not mean that the Torah is, dismin- is, is diminished or no longer recognized as the way of salvation for the Jews. End quote. And that that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The the Torah is not the way to salvation for the Jews. There is one way to salvation. It is through christ it is through his church for all peoples of every race of 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 every socioeconomic status and again it makes me think of the early apostles why were these early jewish apostles going through so much heartache and so much trouble and suffering from their own people if if the if they didn't need to convert if they didn't need to follow christ if they could just continue on the way that they were doing
0: I'll tell you, the, the, really, the really funny thing about that statement that the cardinal made was um, Jews do not believe that they're saved by the Torah the, the, the Jews who are listening to that, who are listening to you say that the Torah saves them That they have a mode of salvation through the Torah mm-hmm. Have no idea what you're talking about okay so in your effort to be so much more sophisticated than everybody else you have uh insulted them and you've embarrassed yourself you've basically made yourself look stupid the jews of the world cannot figure out now why this cardinal of the catholic church uh, who got their their religion so wrong well if there are any jews listening and i know there aren't because there are no barely any catholics listen to this show but um the, the thing I can tell you is these asking them to understand anybody else's religion is a bit of a stretch. These cardinals don't really understand Catholicism that well. Um, so let's all taper our expectations here when we're thinking about these men being these great scholars of comparative religion out there, because I got to tell you, um, if you believe that all of these, Hasidic uh, Jews and Orthodox Jews who are obeying 613 precepts of the law given at Mount Sinai are doing so because they believe that it's it's a mode of salvation from something. Salvation from what? What is it exactly supposed to save you from? They're doing it because they believe that obedience to the Torah will bring about The coming of the messiah that's how they believe they're saved you idiot i'm sorry i i I know i shouldn't call the cardinal an idiot but really, it it just chaps my you know what when people say stupid things like that and then claim that we're we're the buffoons in the room
1: oh this show ain't gonna last very long if you get upset with people saying stupid stuff (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh my goodness um yeah Reform judaism is like is is judaism for jews who don't want to take religion seriously um there are many jews out there who uh, are of the the orthodox jews and the hasidic jews who take religion very seriously they believe that god is real a real spiritual entity um, they believe that the Messiah is a person who will come to deliver Israel out of. Well, now here's here's a bone of contention, and this is part of part of the reason that they do not accept Jesus. Is there's differing opinions about what the Messiah is going to save you from? So sometimes it's more of uh, establishing Israel as a religious polity, like it was in the United King, you know, the the early United Israel, Israel Israelite Kingdom but what we understand in the christian religion is christ has reunited all of israel in the catholic church well he that was a contention
1: the during the time of christ right, right that, absolutely. That, that contention was still there when christ was on earth
0: yeah yeah um and so so this is and it's not like we have a a, a monopoly on misunderstanding there's a lot of Jewish misunderstandings about Christians, just like there's uh, misunderstandings that Christians have about Jews. So, I think, unfortunately, due to the 2,000-year tragic history of just brutality that, um, that Christian Europe subjected these people to, there are many Jews out there who believe that Jesus was a historical figure who hated Jews. Now, I can understand how they came to that conclusion based on how the Christian world treated them, but nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth.
1: No, he said he came for uh,
0: yeah, if anything for he, Israel. It, yeah, yeah, He loves you guys more than he loves us. but I mean, that's not true. I mean, he loves us all equally, is my point. I, but uh, you know, Jesus of Nazareth um, as as just a historical person, is viewed with skepticism by a lot of Jews because of the way Christians have um, presented him. Um, and a lot of Jews, when they first read the New Testament for the very first time, are surprised um, to read a story about a Jewish man who has a message for Jews in Judea. And they, they you know, maybe they don't convert or maybe they do, but. It's, they're often often pleasantly surprised when they pick up the New Testament for the first time to not find just a a Third Reich anti-Semitic tome, um, but unfortunately that, that there's a lot of Jews who have that um, that perception and that's that's something that I hope with our positive actions and our charity we might be able to change that. That would be the goal.
1: Well, let, let me read this to you because it, it just reminded me of this story and and. And uh, it's, it starts in Matthew chapter 15. Mm-hmm. It says... Um, well, let me find... Uh, I'm on the... Tra- let me get a decent translation here. Uh, let's see. Sorry. We should, you, you may have to edit out this part while I get a good one. <laughs>
0: That's okay.
1: Uh, I just kind of pulled it up and didn't get ready for it. Okay, let's see. Okay, so it starts in... Let's see. It's the faith of the Can- Canaanite woman. And Jesus went from thence and retired into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, who came out of those coasts, crying out, said to him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously troubled by the devil, who answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. And he, Jesus, answering, said, I was not sent but to the sheep that that are lost of the house of Israel but she came and adored him saying lord help me who answering said it is not good to take the bread of the children and cast it to the dogs but she said yea lord for the whelps also eat of the crumbs that fall from the table of their masters then jesus answering said to her o woman great is thy faith be it done to thee as thou wilt and her daughter was cured from that hour so going back to what you were saying about you can understand how some Jews believe that Jesus, you know, hated Jews because of the way they've been treated. This, this section of scripture right here tells what Jesus is. You know, he says, Hey, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. You know, I, I, he, he basically called all non-Israelized Gentiles, which would, which would be a lot of us. You know, he said, like, "I'm not going to feed the dog." You know, I'm not going to feed the dogs, but because <laughs> of her faith, he 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 cured her daughter as she requested. So there's a there's a lot to unpack there, um, you know, from from the aspect of Jesus's mission, which of course was all mankind, but he, he, he says more specifically, you know, what he was coming to uh, uh, do, and then speaking to the faith of of people of all backgrounds. Uh, what your faith can do for you in Jesus Christ.
0: Well, that's and that's principally the mission of the Messiah. The The, the Hebrew word is Moshiach, and essentially the one that they're looking for, he, he will accomplish two basic things. Uh, the first is to uh, bring all of Israel back to the land of Israel. So if you remember, in the northern kingdom of Israel, they were scattered to the out to the nations and and law the 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 ten tr- the ten lost tribes of Israel right, right. the Jews the tribe of, the descendants of the tribe of Judah um, have have largely uh, even though they were exiled they maintained their their tribal integrity and they were not lost uh, to the winds so what the Messiah is going to do is reunite all twelve tribes of Israel and rebuild the temple now this is actually pretty important because the temple is the only place where lawful sacrifice can be made. Okay, That's
1: that's why rabbinic Judaism came about.
0: Exactly. Um, So they're looking, so the Jews are looking for someone who will rebuild the temple and reunite all 12 tribes of Israel in the land of Israel. Now, here's how Christ accomplishes those things. Christ Rebuilds the temple, which he says is his body. Right? He says, "I will tear this temple down and in three days rebuild it again." When he's saying that, he's saying that so that if you were a first-century Jew and you heard that, you knew he would—he was making a messianic claim about himself, because that's what the Messiah does: is he builds the temple. But the temple is still standing at the time of Christ. So, what do you mean you're going to tear it down and rebuild it again? Um, a lot of Jews in at that time were not particularly looking for the Messiah because the temple was still standing.
1: Yeah, it was um, toward, what 70 AD, I believe, is when right. the Romans came
0: in and demolished it. But but think about this: every covenant that happens in the Old Testament, when the, when the covenant is established, the covenant is always sealed with a sacrifice. So, and that's and that's important, and and the sacrifice has to be made according to the specific precepts in order for the sacrifice to be binding and valid so what christ does is he establishes the new israel not bounded by geographic borders but bounded by our shared partaking in the body and blood of the messiah himself who is both priest and victim we are elected israelites so in other words we're grafted um, in yeah, we're 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 grafted in exactly. So it's not a rejection of the Jewish people. It's an elevation of ourselves to their status as as children of the tribes of Israel.
1: As God's chosen people.
0: Right, and the Catholic Church is where proper sacrifice is done. The Catholic Church is the new temple, and, and Paul even calls it the new Jerusalem and that's what he that's what he means by that. And the mass is the sacrifice that is the new and everlasting covenant. So this is going to be the last covenant and this is going to be the last sacrifice that it's going to be Christ on the cross. So every time we go to mass, we're not re-sacrificing Christ, we're representing that original sacrifice because it's the it's the everlasting covenant. So he does fulfill those messianic prophecies. Now, whether that's convincing to uh, an Orthodox Jew or not, I you know I don't know, um, but there's 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 a lot of nuance to discussions like this, and and there's different schools of thought in rabbinic Judaism about what the messiah's missions are and things like that. So, you know, I, I don't know that you can really get into a, we're going to convert the Jews by arguing with them kind of a thing. I don't I don't think that's particularly constructive in any situation, even with Protestants necessarily. But, um, you know, the Holy Spirit, conversion is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and we do pray for the conversion of Jews like we pray for the conversion of everyone. We pray for the conversion of fellow Catholics. I pray for my own conversion every day. I was
1: about to say the same thing, yeah.
0: Um, I mean, because,
1: that, because as Catholics, we believe we are constantly working out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. Absolutely. Um,
0: so it's, it's definitely not something where we're, we're picking on them. I, I, at least I don't take it that way.
1: But, well, and, and kind of going back, I just kind of thought it popped in my head when you were talking about Paul was going back to the super secessionism, how, how, uh, the new covenant has replaced or superseded the Mosaic covenant. Um, I was also thinking about Paul's language when he talks about baptism being the new circumcision and you know he talks about um, I, I drew a blank, but you know he he talks about he he makes comparisons in what the new covenant requires and how it, it replaces what was done in the old covenant and why. So again, this this idea that um, that the new covenant hasn't replaced or superseded the Mosaic covenant, I don't I, I don't see how as Catholic leaders. You can you can believe in the dual covenant theology. Um,
0: yeah, I mean that's, because that, that's yeah, just
1: how, you know that's just how I you know how I feel about it.
0: Well, and and pay close attention to exactly what Francis said. He said that the law is not. How, how exactly did he put this? I don't want to misquote because I, I think what he said was I actually it it was. pretty important. He said. Um, he said that it's not capable of fulfilling the promise. Yeah, okay. That's Something like said. that, yeah. The, the law, however, does not give life. It does not offer the fulfillment of the promise because it's not capable of being able to fulfill it because it's the promise. Promises are not self-fulfilling, right? Um, the, the Mosaic Covenant was a promise. Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. He's not there to abolish the old covenant he's there to fulfill it and i think i think if correct me if i'm wrong but jesus pretty much says that in the new testament right not one thing will pass away before these things come yeah to pass. yeah
1: not one i think one translation one one not one tittle not one or however it words it. but yeah you're right
0: yeah so so jesus is not coming to say you jews are wrong for obeying the law that's not correct what he's saying is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And the uh, work that I'm going to accomplish is going to establish a new covenant which will fulfill all the promises made to the house of Israel.
1: Well, and and one thing I really like about our Catholic faith that a lot of Protestant um, groups don't necessarily believe, or, or maybe I shouldn't say that, they don't act like they they revere the old testament and and i would think this would be uh good news to any jewish listeners we would have is is the fact that you know jesus says i came to fulfill not to destroy the old law right and as as catholics we again like i said earlier we believe that the the uh uh, new is hidden in the old and the old is fulfilled in the new man i got it that time i got it out (laughs) um So, so not, not only do we revere and respect it, we know that the Old Covenant, the, what we would call the Old Testament, is, is crucial to our faith as, as New Covenant Christians. Um, I, I know, like I said, when I mentioned Protestants, I know there's groups out there that act like the Old Testament doesn't really exist except in a, a few quotes now and then, you know, right. besides like a Genesis 1-1 or an, I believe it's Isaiah 55 or the, the Messianic uh, uh, prophecy. But, uh, no, I mean, and I think the early church fathers went to great lengths to show us the connection between the old and the new and our whole, you know, many people act like our Marian theology and dogmas are just snatch out of thin air. They're, they're, they're deeply rooted in a lot of old Testament teachings and prophecies and concepts.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Um, it, it, and I go back to the book of Isaiah, which tells us that um, uh, from a virgin, uh, a son shall be born to you. Now, okay, l- let's unpack that for a second, because I think, you know, we've, we grew up with the Blessed Virgin Mary in our theology since we were kids. Okay, that, but let's, let's, let's look at um, early Israelites in the, in the kingdom of Judah, reading something like that. A virgin shall bear a son. Something don't quite add up here. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, virgins don't bear children. That's kind of like well, you, duh,
1: right? You know, something else that doesn't make sense along those lines hmm. is in Genesis when it talks about the woman's seed. A woman doesn't right. have a seed, right? <laughs> you know, right. in the in the normal biological course of conception,
0: right. Very good point. At, at, at least not as they understood it at the time that book was written.
1: Um, yeah.
0: I don't. I don't think. I don't think well, in, at that point anybody knew that women even had eggs. Uh, well, which, even
1: today we don't view a woman as having have. You know, the man right. has the seed and the woman has the egg. But right. yeah. I mean, I mean, that whole concept is if you know. I know personally. I've read through that my whole life. Never dawned on me. And then I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, a while back, and I was like, man, that that is true. I never never even thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you there.
0: Oh, no, I, 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 that's all I wanted to say. Oh, actually, there was one other point I wanted to make, believe it or not, um, in terms of uh, Orthodox Jews and Hasidic Jews. Now, Has- For those of you who don't know, the Hasidim are the Jews that you've seen with the black hats and the uh, – Curly uh, hair. They, they, they wear a very distinctive uh, clothing and things like that believe it or not as a traditionalist catholic i i sympathize with these people much more than you might think because like us they take their religion seriously they go to great pains to obey the precepts of their religion even though they might seem silly weird outdated or pointless they are constantly made fun of by their co-religionists as backwards rigid um uh, uh, upwardly litigious and uh, not fun at all and the thing is nothing could be further from the truth I've, I've known Hasidic Jews they're actually very joyous and pleasant people uh, they're not rude or mean or uh, standoffish or isolationist or anything like that they appear to be like that because nobody really wants to hang out with them because they're weird as a traditionalist Catholic, man, I that rings true. <laughs> I get that. You know well, I mean? there's this,
1: there's, people are just so hell bent right now on shooting down what they think are rigid people. And it's, and it's not even rigid in the sense that they're using it. Are we rigid? Yeah. You could make that argument in the sense that we try to hold true to the way we live our faith and hold ourselves accountable and our family accountable. You know, if you you know, as a father and and as a husband, you know, we try to all hold each other accountable to living our faith. Yeah, I'm rigid in that way. But but the way they use rigid, it's like, no, you just need to be free love, man, free love.
0: Yeah, it almost usually the the thing about rigid almost always means it's kind of a bummer that you won't participate with me in my breaking of the fifth commandment. I mean, that's it almost always means that. But um, you think about orthodox jews who on friday have to be home and have to have the candles lit before sundown because that's when the sabbath starts and the, they have an app on their phone that tells them the exact time when sundown is and they've got to be home before then and everything now you can look at that and go okay you guys are just being overly litigious do you really think god's going to get mad at you You're being legalistic is what they call it yeah if you're gonna be you're really gonna think god's gonna be mad at you if you're five minutes late to shabbos but the point is you know I, want, I love God so much that I want to show him that I'm willing to work hard to obey his laws, even when it's hard,
1: it's even when sacrifice. it's challenging.
0: It's a sacrifice, and it's an act of devotion. I get that. That, that is also, not foreign to me. I, I totally get that.
1: And it's also giving God your best by saying, you know what? I'm not going to be five minutes late. I'm not going to be one minute late because you are so much more deserving of of me, you know, of me, you're so much more deserving than me uh, casually going, oh, I can be here five minutes later, it's no big deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, because if you're only going to, if you're only going to obey the laws that you feel like obeying, you're not really obeying anything, because basically all you're doing is just doing what comes naturally. The law and and any kind of religious devotion, any kind of, we talked about physical exercise the last episode, anything like that really gets interesting when it gets hard. That's where the growth happens, right? The growth, the, when you're lifting weights, the growth comes from that last rep that you just can't quite uh, make it. That's where all your progress is. So, well, then the religious life, it's the same thing. If you can only do the things that are easy and don't require any effort or any sacrifice on your part, you're not really going to grow in any kind of spiritual life in any religious tradition, I'm sorry to tell you, because you're talking about transforming yourself. That's going to require some effort on your part, and it's going to require you to do some things that might seem a little strange, but religion is not about the rational. It's about the incomprehensible.
1: Well, and and when you are weightlifting, you are literally tearing your muscles down, breaking them down to build back stronger. Right. Um, and it's kind of the same concept spiritually, you know, that, that, that's why you have a lot of the, um, what do they call them? The, the, the desert monks, um, uh, shoot, it starts with an M. I can't think of the word right now. Uh,
0: the, uh, you're talking about the, the, like St. Anthony of Egypt and the, yeah, yeah. the early desert, the early desert monastics. Yeah. I,
1: I'm thinking, I, the monastics, that's what I'm looking for. Oh, okay. No. You know, you had them self-sacrificing and, and self-mortification and it it it's, it, it kind of makes me think also of of like the military, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense for you to go to boot camp and have somebody yell at you, degrade you, do all these things to break you down, but they do it with a purpose, right? So it re, and I'm not saying that as Catholics we should be going to do that to people to try to convert right. them, of course. But I'm not saying I'm not saying that because for one that would go against uh, Nostra et, 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 et? Mm-hmm. I think how you say it. Anyway. that he
0: said That works for me. <laughs> that's about <laughs> the best I can do.
1: But what what it makes me think of is as recruits they go in there and they humble themselves. They they say they know there's a they're sacrificing themselves, their desires, their wants to be built up as a better person, right? To be to to, work to, as to a be unit. there to work as a unit to be there for the common good of sure. of the people of their country in, in, in many ways um, now in the beginning do they necessarily realize that no I doubt a lot of 17 18 year olds realize the whole concept behind it you know but it it, it makes me think of the spiritual life in the sense that we have to humble ourselves quite often uh, sacrifice um, even in the small things, like okay, you're talking about the acidic juice. Okay, I gotta be, I gotta be home for uh, at this time. Okay, well, I've got to stop this activity that I'm in the middle of. You know, it's just, it's just like as we talked about prayer last week with the angelus. Um, twelve, you know, twelve o'clock comes. say hey, the noon angelus. It's, it's like okay. Well, I was about to eat lunch, or I was about to. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna set that aside and do my prayer first. Now, does that sound like a big sacrifice? No, not really, not in the grand scheme of things, but you are making the little sacrifices so that when the big ones come, you're ready.
0: Well, and, and the funny thing is, is these, uh, a lot of these Hasidic Jews find it difficult to work, to, to find employment outside of their little Hasidic communities because most jobs you can't just bolt at two o'clock on Friday so you can be home in time for Shabbos. And, yeah. and, and you can't work on Saturday. That's, that's, that's out of the question. So uh, it's, it's difficult for them sometimes to do that. Going back to your, I like the example that you brought up of boot camp because what they're essentially doing there is they're preparing you for the environment of war. And war is confusing, uncomfortable, chaotic, loud, uh, stressful. And when you join the military, you're essentially joining a war fighting organization and they're preparing you for the environment of war. Okay, well think about spiritual war, and think about if, if that's what's if that's what's needed to psychologically prepare you for you know earthly wars or whatever, whatever you want to call that. Then you're going to need to go through something like that to be adequately prepared for the spiritual battlefield. You're going to have to take some cold showers. You're going to have to get up early. You're going to have to. Practice discipline in, Get in out your, your life, comfort zone. because uh, I don't know how to tell you guys this, but the most intelligent creature that God has ever created has done nothing but through all eternity, but think about how to drag your soul to hell. That's what you're up against. So you better do some push-ups, my friend. He has a head start <laughs> on you. <laughs> you know, I don't, so you, you know we're, we're up against it, but. Um, I actually, one of the things I admire the most about Muslims is that they get up real early in the morning uh, to, to pray, to do their, they, they have five daily prayers that they say throughout the day. Um, and the ones who take their religion seriously, which is a big chunk of the Islamic world, get up, I think it's like at five o'clock in the morning or something like that, um, and they, they obey these precepts religiously. Um, And there's something to be admired about people who take their religious practices that seriously and and foster that level of spiritual discipline. Now, do I wish and do I hope that they will one day be able to do that within the full bosom of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church? Absolutely. We could we could use that. (laughs) Um, And that's that's my prayer. And, you know, that's up to that's up to God and everything. But I, I, I do think that that's commendable. You know, to get up early in the morning and and join because it's a it's a communal prayer. They they do it with other people, um, and to do it every day, those 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 would take it seriously. I don't know. There's something commendable about that.
1: Let me, uh, we're talking about um, our relationship with the the Jewish people, um, and you know, I know there was a lot of controversy over the Good Friday prayer that the church. Had had uh, historically had, um, or at least a part uh, along the Jew. Uh, how it spoke about the Jews was controversial. Talking about a a veil over their hearts, <clears throat> um, and I believe it was in what 1955, maybe that it was first changed. I'm going to try to pull it up here. Um, well, I had yeah, it earlier. I'm
0: I'm, I'm I'm pulling it up now. The, the I Good promised. Friday. With I Good promise Friday I had it, I
1: had it earlier, but now apparently I've lost it. Let's see.
0: Um, so you know that on Good Friday we do not say a mass. We have a uh, uh, it's a it's a liturgy of the pre sanctified gifts. At least that's what they call it the Eastern Church. And um, there's several prayers that that go along with that. So the form that was used before 1955 read let us pray also for the faithless Jews that almighty God we remove the veil from their hearts so that they too may acknowledge Jesus Christ our Lord um, through the same Christ our Lord who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Ghost one God forever and ever Uh, that was changed um, to uh, let's see here what was the the prayer now reads well what is it let's see I don't have the I had it earlier. Okay, I found it now. The prayer prayer now reads, Let us pray also for the Jews, that Almighty God may remove the veil from their hearts, so that they too may acknowledge Christ our Lord. Let us pray, let us kneel, arise, Almighty and eternal God, who dost also not exclude from thy mercy the Jews. Hear our prayers, which we offer for the blindness of that people, that acknowledging the light of thy truth, which is Christ, they may be delivered from their darkness through the same... Our Lord Jesus Christ who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Ghost, one God forever and ever. Amen. Now let me ask you a question. Why a prayer for the Jews specifically? I mean, well, why isn't why well, isn't there a prayer for the Protestants?
1: Well, I I would assume it had to go back to our common ancestry.
0: It does. We're it does. We're,
1: we're wanting to um you know, it's like a lost family member. You want to you want to bring them in in communion with yourself would, would be the way I would view it.
0: And don't forget, to the Jews, the 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 Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, is and and to us too, the most important event in all of human history. To live in the Messianic age is every Jew every Jew who takes his religion seriously is every Jew's dream. Okay. Every Jew's longing to live in the messianic age. And we know how important it is for them and, and, and for us too. And we are saddened by the fact that they live in the messianic age and they don't know it. And and, and that saddens us. So we say a special prayer because these people who need who long emotionally with you know you've seen the 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 wailing wall in uh in uh, jerusalem which is the wall the western wall that was part of the um the second temple that and it still stands and jews still pray there that's what they're praying for they're praying for the coming of the messiah they're praying for the messianic age and they long for it with every fiber of their being and we want them to so des- we want so desperately to let them know you're in the messianic age, you're it's here. And well,
1: <clears throat> no, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, that's that that's that's well, what I took from it. You
1: know, uh, I'm very rude. I'm always interrupting and saying sorry. Oh, it's, I interrupt too. That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I can understand in a way both sides really, but I can understand how. You know, as a Jewish person, Jewish person, you might have issue with the first part of the the prayer you know pre-1955 where it talked about the faithless Jews.? Right. I can see as a Jewish person how I would have a problem with that, but I can also see why the church added that, right? Um, because their faith isn't in Jesus Christ. And that's that, that's the church's mission, right? Bring people to Christ who are, who are not not believers um
0: yeah yeah but i'm glad i'm glad they changed it because i don't think jews are faithless um no i I agree with you no no
1: I, i i agree with you there i was just saying i i can see both sides but i know definitely as a jewish person i wouldn't like it and and i agree with you i don't think they're faithless uh people in that sense uh
0: I mean, some of them are, but then again, so are some Catholics. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, true. But the, the the part that they took out about the veil from their hearts—now that I don't, I don't necessarily see how that was an issue because, for one, it's quoting holy scripture. Mm-hmm. But two, it makes me think, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it makes me think of the veil of the uh, you know between the holy of holies and mm. and the temple right. The veil separated people. The, People from God, right, and only the high priests could go in there. What once a year, interesting, I believe it was. And then when Jesus died, what happened? The veil was torn from top to bottom, signifying that man didn't tear this or couldn't tear this because that veil then took that veil away that separated man from God and brought brought us together, right? Right. So when I see this part of the 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 good Friday prayer that says may almighty God remove the veil from their hearts. It makes me think they, they do not see Christ as God. They do not see that Christ is the Messiah. May God remove this veil that is blinding them from seeing this and bring them in to the church. Yeah. I don't have, a, I, I don't see why that's controversial. <clears throat> like for me, because when we pray for the conversion, that's, that's what, that, that's what we're praying right there to me is that, hey, these people have a veil blocking them from the, from the true and living God uh, in, 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 in Christ, right? In yeah. that sense, um, let's remove that veil and let's bring them into communion with the church.
0: I think the, 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 the issue with the language about removing the veil from their hearts is <clears throat> the implication that they put that veil there themselves that again it goes back to this idea that they know damn good and well jesus is the messiah they're just obstinate and they're just they're uh you know they're they're stubborn and they're
1: i wouldn't see see it that way in a million years personally
0: no but i can see i i could see how it i could see how that could be seen that way um and if there's a better way to do it uh, well so So the the changes that were made by John the 23rd were what I read earlier, and the the changes in the Novus Ordo Mise, what the Novus Ordo Mise says on Good Friday is, let us pray for the Jewish people, the first to hear the word of God, that they may continue to grow in the love of his name and faithfulness to his covenant. Uh, uh, Okay. Almighty and eternal God, long ago you gave your promise to Abraham and his posterity. Listen to your church as we pray that the people you first made your own may arrive at the fullness of redemption. We ask this through Christ our Lord, amen. Uh, I mean, I guess that's nicer language, but now we've removed all talk of how that redemption comes. Yeah. You know, and, and, and may they continue to grow in the love of his name and faithfulness to his covenant. Uh, okay, are we talking about the Mosaic Covenant? And, and and if we want them to continue to grow in that covenant, is that now a rival f- source of salvation like we we're talking about? I mean, why can't if that's the case? Then why don't we want the Muslims to grow and continue and love in their religion? Like it, I don't know. Well, there's, and, some, there's some problems there, but that's the i sort of me say, I guess.
1: <laughs> and then when Pope Benedict um, the Sixteenth gave his motu proprio uh, summa pontificum, sumorum pontificum, mm-hmm. he uh, you know of course there was uh, I was reading that there was controversy about that because of. Of uh, you know, it would have been the prayer of Pope John the Twenty Third, Saint Pope. Is it is it Saint Pope or Pope Saint? I can't remember uh, which way it Saint is. Pope Saint
0: John the Twenty Third. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So it says the new prayer reads as follows, and and, and obviously uh, for many reasons I like this, and it goes exactly what you were saying uh, about how do how do they reach this this point of salvation, right? Let us also pray for the Jews that our God and Lord may illuminate their hearts that they acknowledge Jesus Christ as the savior of all men. So you know Benedict, you know uh, Pope Benedict changed, modified the the uh Saint Pope John the uh Good Friday prayer. I think it's better than the one in the uh the Novus Ordo um Good Friday prayer, but
0: I especially like how it ends where he says um Almighty and eternal God, who want that all men be saved and come to the recognition of the truth, um, propitiously grant that even as the fullness of the peoples enters thy church, all Israel be saved. Now that's a direct quote from Paul, that all Israel will be saved. So again, Benedict is reaffirming that idea that far from the Jews being removed from their position as the chosen people. What's actually happened is we've been elevated to be with them as part of the the, the new Israel. So uh that's not a tearing down of them, that's an elevating mm-hmm. of us to be their adopted brothers. Um so no, I I I like that. I like that prayer.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I don't think that the the Novus Ordo um prayer that the, that they have in the in the Novus Ordo uh good friday services i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it i just think that it's you it goes back to what we've talked about many times you're just watering it down to try not to be offensive and i think pope benedict's changes while while good he also wasn't being offensive in it you know the the you can still teach the truth and not necessarily be offensive now granted as you said earlier there are going to be times where you're going to be offensive because Christ is an offense to to those that don't believe, right?
0: Well, he went to the cross. He 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 must have pissed somebody off.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm just yeah, saying, you know, yeah. uh, preaching Christ crucified is going to offend somebody.
0: And I know, and and let me also say something to the modernist cardinals out there who are so terrified that every time we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior that we're gonna upset the Jews and we're gonna we're gonna restart the Holocaust and we're all these all these horrible things. Let me break this down for you. The Jews of the world do not sit around all day waiting for the Catholic Church to give them permission to feel good about themselves. I don't know how to break this to you, Your Eminence, but not everybody thinks about you all day. Uh, they just you know the idea that I think i think jewish people understand that when we go to christian churches we're praying to jesus and we think he is the exclusive means of salvation they somehow find a way to go about their lives anyway so the idea that uh you're that you're that important to every other person on earth your eminence um just take a beat okay they don't think about you all day i don't know how to I I mean, I understand most of these cardinals are narcissists, so, you know, they they do think everybody thinks about them all day, but it's just not the case. So I don't know how, you know.
1: Well, and and I know we're coming up on an hour 45 here, almost 46. Um, I just kind of – I don't know if you have anything else you want to talk about. I I was just going to add – I wanted to add this at the end because to any uh, non-Christian people that may be listening – um the document ends with this statement and I wholeheartedly believe it and I think Mark will agree it is a message that, that we personally promote and, and all the Christians and Catholics that we know from all stripes promote this message as well, that we know personally. It says at the end, no foundation Um, therefore remains for any theory or practice that leads to discrimination between man and man or people and people so far as their human dignity and rights flowing from it are concerned the church reproves as foreign to the mind of christ any discrimination against men or harassment of them because of their race color condition of life or religion on the contrary following in the footsteps of the holy apostles peter and paul the sacred synod ardently implores the Christian faithful to maintain good fellowship among the nations and if possible to live for their part in peace with all men so that they may truly be sons of the Father who is in heaven. And that—that that is the best way we can evangelize, as it says in the end, living our faith the best we can. And some may deem that as being rigid, but it's not rigid. It's that we believe what we practice.
0: Every human being on earth is your brother or sister, uh, uh, whether they are Jewish, Islamic, I mean, what, whatever religion they follow, whatever skin color they happen to have, whatever nation they hail from, whatever language they speak, um, you're, you are duty bound to hold that all of humanity is, are your brothers and sisters. So treat muslims jews protestants and if you can find it in your heart your fellow traditionalist catholics with some respect and dignity once in a while i know you know i know that last part is really a challenge for a lot of uh, <laughs> for a lot of people in the catholic church but um i i often think it's hilarious that the people at america magazine are going to lecture to us on uh don't treat people who are different than you badly i'm like uh Okay, you mean like you do to us because we go to the Latin Mass? Okay,
1: we're constantly being <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we're constantly constantly being degraded as either white supremacist. Um, You know, we are uh, we're discriminating against the the homosexual community. We are you know we hate them because we don't. Except their lifestyle, you know. I mean, we're we're, we're being lamb blasted with all these things. And again, we like I said, if you think that I am a traditional Catholic because I'm a white supremacist, come to Regina Chaley Parish and you will see I am doing it wrong.
0: Yeah, no kidding, right? We're pretty we're pretty terrible white supremacists. We've we've allowed a lot of. Uh uh, different races of people into our white supremacist club. So we're, we're, we're not good at this, I think. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, the, the big hot button topics today are the LGBTQ or whatever it is now community. and, And, and I think you can speak to the same thing. I know I get along with plenty of them. I don't hate any of them. I mean, when I talk to them, they know that because of my religious convictions, I disagree with their lifestyle choices, but we get along still. We still communicate. We still talk to each other. So all this idea that people at American magazine try to label us as they—that's the pot calling the kettle black. They are accusing us of which that of that which they are guilty. It's kind of it kind of goes along the the saying that I heard my grandma used to tell me: a thief thinks everybody's a thief because he's a thief. A th- liar thinks everybody's a liar because they're a liar. Hmm. Kind of makes me think that about American magazines. All the things they accuse us of. They're probably guilty of it themselves.
0: Well, I know for sure they're they're guilty of it when it comes to us. They think we're stupid, backward. They're uh, just too refined
1: to realize it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, in in terms of uh, of, uh, people who uh, struggle with uh, homosexual tendencies and things like that, we go back to the catechism. Yes, we do believe that there is such a thing as moral truths. And and there are things which uh, are, we believe are immoral, and we believe that there are things which are moral. Um, that being said, the catechism does not tell us it is a sin to have homosexual tendencies or, or, or have those desires. What it says is that sex is reserved exclusively within the sacrament of matrimony, which is reserved for men and women. Now that has a lot of implications, even for heterosexual people. Oh yeah, you you can't just uh, utilize that sexual faculty even in a heterosexual way outside of the bonds of matrimony. So for those people who do struggle with those those tendencies, of course they're they're in our prayers, and it's it's a cross to bear for sure. But you can't hate those people for having inclinations to sin because we you do. got you got them too. You can't hate them for being in that boat because you're in the boat with them. I don't know how to tell you this.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and and you know I I don't know. This it, it just really irks me how constantly being told not to discriminate against people or not to do this and that, which which I agree with, don't get me wrong. But but we're we're constantly being told those things because we we hold fundamental differences in, in life and how to live it, but they're the ones guilty of it. Um you know, we talked about Muslims. I have a really good friend. I, I pretty much consider family. You know, he's uh he's an Egyptian Egyptian Muslim. He he I met him through work, we've become really close. He lives in Saudi Arabia. We have fundamental religious beliefs and have we talked about them before? Yeah. Did it end our friendship? No. Would I help him at, at at a moment's notice, if able? Yeah. Would he do the same for me? I believe so. And that's what uh, Nostra Aetate is is trying to get across: is Hey, don't hate people and just sign them off because they they are a different faith. Let's find the common ground and convert people. And Amen. if you Amen. if you think that is heretical, I don't maybe I'm just not smart enough to understand it. And I'm not saying that, you know, that might not be the case, but shoot, shoot us an email, catch us on Twitter, um, or or whatever you need to do to contact us, because I would like to see it if it's there.
0: Well, yeah. And, and somebody will need to tell me how two ideas that are mutually exclusive of one another can both be correct. So I, I would like The the, the brain trust over at America Magazine to educate us savages on how Jesus can both be the Messiah and not be the Messiah. How Muhammad can be the prophet of Allah and simultaneously not the prophet of Allah. Somebody needs to spell that out for me because the ideas that they're advocating just don't make a whole lot of sense. So um, I, I invite anybody from American Magazine, send us a, an email, catch, us, catch up with us on Twitter. We'd love to have you on the podcast so you can explain to us how the, the two religions that believe fundamentally opposing things are both correct. I, I'd, I'd love to find out the answer to that.
1: And we would definitely give them plenty of, we'd give them a wide berth to explain it to us. It's not like we would, you know, if anybody ever comes on the show that disagrees with it, we're just going to cut them off at every instance. We will be no, more than charity. willing to listen to the argument. Yeah,
0: In charity, absolutely. And, you know, speaking about uh, your your Muslim friend, I, I had a friend in college uh, at Loyola University where I went, shout out to Loyola, go Ramblers, um, who was a Muslim, and he was taking some comparative religion classes, and we were in a class about Catholicism the pope uh, was benedict the 16th at the time and he had said that he believed that the catholic church was the one true church and boy every this professor he was just incensed his modernist professor he was just incensed about this and my friend at a catholic university (laughs) well my friend mustafa was mystified here he he was he was very confused looking on his face he raises his hand and he said the funniest i'll never forget what he said he he said um, he's from Senegal, so he has a, a very thick accent, which I won't do here. But he said, um, isn't he the pope of the Catholic Church? And the professor said, yes. And Mustafa says, what religion did you think he was going to say was the true religion? And I laughed. I Man, I thought that was funny. And uh, the professor said, well, you're a Muslim. You don't go around saying that your religion is true to the exclusion of everybody else's. And Mustafa <laughs> And Mustafa <laughs> went, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, every, every, any Muslim in the world would be duty-bound to tell you that. Otherwise, I've why be a Muslim? N- I've
1: never met a Muslim that didn't believe that. And like I said, I've spent quite a bit of time in the Middle East.
0: So. Right, yeah. You've been, to, you've been to Saudi Arabia and all over the Gulf, Oman, right?
1: Oman, Bahrain. Um, yeah, just, uh, just all over.
0: I mean, if you don't believe it's the truth, why are you doing it? That's my question. Um, But, again, I don't think these people even believe in the concept of truth. I I think they think that there's no such thing. Um, Truth is relative to these people. So, you know, it's not even – sometimes it's not even worth having the discussion with them, you know. But um, this was a fun talk. I enjoyed this. I I got a lot out of it, and I hope our listeners did too. Um, If I sound like I've switched from one pack a day to two packs a day, (laughs) I apologize. I'm losing my voice. I don't know why, but – Um, hopefully I'll fix that in editing
1: (laughs) well you gotta you gotta quit yelling to those judges over at at court cases
0: (laughs) the funny thing is is this just happened by talking at a normal volume for extended periods of time that's that's how it happened but um, yeah I'll be I'll be fine I'll drink I'll drink some hot tea I'll take some lozenges and uh, we'll be good to go Uh, Jason any final thoughts
1: no, I'm I'm good on my end. I will. Uh, are you going to the uh, eight fifteen mass?
0: I will be at eight fifteen. Yes, sir.
1: I'll see you there. That's where we're going tomorrow. What time? All
0: right, All right ma'am. Well, uh, the rest of the listeners have a have a wonderful week. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we hope to see you back next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. We're just kind of making this up as we go, but uh, I think it'll be interesting no matter what we do. So. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. God bless. God bless you guys. Take care.